Right, we are back. So, another video podcast. Welcome, guys, uh, to the show. This is going to be all the stuff that I can't really say on YouTube. Uh, we're going to be talking about a couple of things with you guys, uh, just me. Uh, we're going to be uh, bringing back uh, Peter Barnes and also Daniel McElhinney in a couple of days. Uh, McElhinney is actually in America right now, so hopefully I'll bring him back to talk about the philosophy corner that a lot of you guys have been asking about. Uh, firstly, let's talk about Ukraine because... Uh, Every time I try to make a video on YouTube, it's absolutely pointless. It gets removed anyway. And also Pfizer. Let's discuss Pfizer. Uh, and I'm going to answer a few questions that you have guys, you guys have sent over the last few days. So basically, as you guys know, uh, there's a lot of issues going around. I believe my view is when it comes to foreign affairs, just generally speaking, any politics around international affairs. Firstly, it's not ideological. It's not the same as economics, where you could be a socialist or a capitalist. It's not really policy-based in that sense, where you could have teams. You can't be a Puritan. Uh, those who are complete isolationists the whole time is quite dangerous, because at times you have to do self-defense. And those who are just completely hawkish and want to do world expansion, like China right now, you know, Communist Party in China, like that, times have changed. It's quite difficult. If you live in a democracy, you can't do that. That's, that's my point. China can do whatever they want because the electorate in China don't really exist. In this country, in America, you can't really do it. But let's discuss what's going on because people think they have to pick sides in the whole Ukraine slash NATO or Russia. So I'm just talking about our people, the Western people, not really, of course, you know, the pro-Putin Russians who are supporting Putin. That's irrelevant. Or the Iranian regime who are supporting Putin. Now, in terms of the forces, you've, you have Russia and Iran with a bit of backing of aspects of the Chinese Communist Party who are just working together just essentially to piss off the West. That's what they're doing. Uh, but doesn't mean that the NATO allies are always uh, making the right moves. They're, they're not also angels. Uh, so we have to be objective in this debate. Um, you have to essentially not pick a side, but pick a case by case, see if it's right for the West to intervene or if it's right for uh, Russia to just allow Russia or China or Iran or any other country to just do whatever they want to do because we still have to believe in human rights. And it goes back to the last century. When you had the British Empire being the world police, and as I've said so many times on this channel, whether you like it or not, the world needs a world police. We don't live in a Star Trek world. Uh, of course, you know, I'm libertarian leaning. I, mean, I don't really like wars in that sense. But um, you need one superpower to exist to be able to counter the other potential superpowers who want to bring us down. So when the British Empire went down and when the British Empire essentially stopped running the world, the replacements were America. Now, the US, because they were much younger as a force, as a nation, you know, despite the fact that they had a lot of money and the, the army in, in America massive, bigger than ours at this point. Having said that, in terms of culturally, they were not as mature. So every single time you had American intervention, it was a bit of a mess. Uh, you know, from the CIA intervention in Iran with the coup in the 50s, with Vietnam, with, with the Koreans, with every single aspect, I mean, basically since the Second World War, every time America intervened, uh, even the like, successful tiny missions uh, always had bad long-term consequences. So that's the main problem why 
uh, people are sick and tired of Western interventions because we keep messing it up. We are following America, including Iraq, including Afghanistan. Whereas in the past, you know, pre-World you know, War II, it was the Brits who were running the world. And uh, the British Empire were more mature and more successful. And that's why it's, more, it's mostly hated by everybody else, even though at the time, all nations were either empires or wanted to be empires. So don't, you know, make, don't kind of make the British Empire seem to be this like, only villain in the whole world at the time. It doesn't really work that way. It's illogical. But right now, because America messed up a lot, and because you've got NATO and a number of countries, including the US, who are generally speaking hawkish and want to intervene, then there are a lot of people in the West who are now against NATO intervention. And there are a lot of people right now who, because of that, are essentially supporting the Russian side because they say, well, America keep messing the world up and who are we to tell the rest of the world what to do with their lives and uh, just allow the Russians to do their own thing, allow Syria, for example, and Assad to have their own battles and wars. I get that argument fully. But then there's also the other side who say, well, we are the morally superior side. We have to stop. Uh, the Russians from you know killing innocent Ukrainians, um, but again that that you can't turn that in, in, into some sort of ideological uh, value because, as I said at the beginning, international affairs is not can't be ideological because if that were the case, then you have to be consistent. Which means in 2011 when Assad went mental, then we had to intervene and kill him, but we didn't for obvious reasons. It was complicated. Same thing in China. China and the Chinese state are destroying the Uyghurs. Uh, if we were consistent, ideologically Puritan, then we should just go in there, nuke them. I don't know, do whatever you want to do. Iranians, same problem. Saudi, well, with Saudi and countries like Saudi, it's different. We have, we have uh, contained the crazy. We are containing the dictatorship. We're keeping them close as fake allies to be able to control. Uh, the, the craziness that's that's different but with the others if you want to be a puritan and say well we have to go help the ukrainians uh, because if not the, the russians will kill innocent ukrainians but that means you're gonna have to go to syria we're gonna have to go to uh, pakistan you're gonna have to go to china you're gonna have to go to a lot of places um, on the other hand if you say if you go with the isolationists and say it's not our war where is the line so yeah allow russia and ukraine to kill each other fine and russia will win Sure. And then hypothetically, let's just say, not, I'm not saying that's definitely Putin's intention, but hypothetically, any other country like China or Iran or Russia, start expanding and start taking over, uh, whether military-wise or you know, cyber wars or financially or just generally speaking, old-school Chinese agent style, sending them to the West to infiltrate our system. Where is the line? Do we start fighting back when they get to France? Do we start fighting back when they get to Dover, when they get to New York, or just before, when they're around Poland maybe, or Turkey? That's the issue. And I think this is why it really shouldn't be our job, like my job, or I may say my job, I'm talking about the rest of the, the political pundits world and all the media pundits who are all experts and who all have opinions. We can all have opinions, but you can't pretend to be the expert when it comes to foreign affairs and say, well, I know about this issue and that's my view and that's it, it's black and white. You can't make it black and white. It has to be uh, based on you know, various critical thinking. You have to question yourself. And also this is one area 
that there is such thing as expertise, uh, not necessarily in terms of skills, but in terms of access to information. So the intelligence officers, security forces, they have access to a lot of information that we don't, unless you're Julian Assange. <laughs> uh, and so that's the only um, flaw that we have as you know, ordinary people, the electorate and the, deck, the taxpayers, we don't have that information. We don't really have the intelligence uh, that they have. So that's why um, you're going to have to basically rely on them. But the problem is, as Edward Snowden said before, and people like Julian Assange, you can't also fully be dependent on your state and government because there has to be some sort of accountability unless you just want to agree that you live in a society where it's essentially like the mafia, the Italian mafia, where you've got a hierarchy and the leader, the father figure in the country, the head of government, head of state, whilst you have them democratically elected and you can scrutinize their tax policies and health policies and education, but when it comes to defense and foreign affairs, then you have no say. So like, you know, the ordinary gang members and soldiers uh, and even captains in, in the Italian mafia, they don't really uh, have the power to tell the boss uh, and the Don to what to do when it comes to the main policy for the tribe. So that, that it makes it quite tricky. But for now, what we should do is, I think we should just do what Trump was doing. Trump was very good at containing the crazies, even when it came to Russia, North Korea and the others. A bit of bluff, you have to be unpredictable. The reason Russia are winning, the reason China are winning in terms of the, the manipulation and uh, the, the Cold War side of uh, the conflict, East and West, is because they can predict your classic leaders, like your Bidens, your, your Obamas, your Hillarys, and your you know, Theresa Mays, and all these typical ones, David Cameron, Boris Johnson. With Trump, they could not predict his behavior, which made him more powerful and scary for them, actually, because he managed to keep them close but lash out at the same time um but you know when, when he was threatening sanctions they took it seriously uh, when he was threatening airstrikes they took it seriously but when hawkish sides you know, again your democrats for example when they threaten you know iran or whatever with like new sanctions they don't take them seriously. They're like, eh, they, they, they just say it all the time. Or say, oh, well, war with Iran is still on the table. Iranians know that it's not going to happen. So that's, that's the main thing. That's the way the best thing to do is basically bring back Trump at this point. An unpredictable character who's actually deep down anti-war, but we can't, you can't predict him. He's crazy, good crazy. So you can't predict what he's going to do. So even King Jong-un was scared of him. He was like, well, he, I've heard he's, he doesn't like war. But he's very, very alpha, so he might do something crazy. He might just press the button. So they have to listen to him. Same with Putin. Manipulated Putin um, because of the media and the way the left uh, portrayed Trump. Uh, so Putin was hanging out with Trump, saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take pictures with him so that they, the media think that I'm manipulating Trump and I'm doing a puppet master. In fact, it was the other way around. It was Trump who was manipulating uh, Putin, and it was very, very subtle in that sense. Um, with NATO and Ukraine, is, is difficult because, as I said, if NATO want to cross the line and defend Ukraine, then there will be a lot of questions saying, okay, you've done it. You know, you, you saved innocent Ukrainians. Then you're going to have to liberate everywhere else. And I don't believe that we should just leave them alone because if, if you allow Russia to win, then they're going to take liberty and they're going to do more. So there's no answer in that sense. But the only thing I'm saying in this video is 
don't turn into an ideological battle, left or right, or pro-war or anti-war. It's, it's not black and white. It can't be black and white. And I would say normally that we should just uh, trust our leaders. But again, our leaders are currently um, the, the Downing Street and uh, the White House. I'm not really sure I can trust them at this point. Um, so <laughs> at least it's not Dominic Raab. Dominic Raab was actually terrible as foreign secretary. Um, I don't really. I have no opinion right now on Liz Truss as foreign secretary yet. Um, but I, I don't know how if she's going to be a vanilla. She's just trying to be um, a, a potential future candidate. So that's what she's kind of focusing on. Uh, Boris Johnson himself, I'm not really sure he's that good when it comes to foreign affairs. Um, but uh, and Biden, absolutely no hope, hopeless. Um, but I think the best way to do is just basically scare off the Russians, keep them uh, close to Moscow, and uh, some sort of bull, uh, a bluff game essentially to keep that separate because. As I said at the beginning of the video, uh, a lot of these projects is actually our fault. Whether it's the, the conflict in the, the, around Palestine and the Israel area, whether it's Pakistan, that was us, uh, Ukraine, NATO manipulation. So we created a lot of these problems <laughs> in the first place. Um, but the intention was to stop evil from our perspective. But it just didn't work because we had to rely on the Americans to do it. Apart from obviously Pakistan and India, that was us. That was one big mistake of the British Empire, the way we did it. Uh, so it really depends. But we are we have bigger problems to discuss as well. So the second thing I want to talk about is Pfizer. Another topic I can't talk about on YouTube because there is just a lot of uh, uh, debate around uh, the, the bosses of Pfizer, uh, a number of them who still haven't taken the vaccine. Uh, so there's a lot of theories around it. And you allow actual... Uh, tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists to come up with crazy stuff but then that also means that reasonable theorists if we, if we should call them that, i don't know or just people who question things critical thinkers like me then you put everyone in the same category and everyone's in david Icke. it shouldn't be like that pfizer there is definitely very soft conspiracies it's not all conspiracy theories should be based on illuminati or running the world like in a group of people there are everyday soft conspiracies you know, whether it's the, the oil lobby or the, the, the banking sector or, uh, again, the intelligence uh, community, then Julian Assange has exposed them a lot. Um, and when it comes to big pharma, there's always soft conspiracies. You know, there's always in their interest to make more money. It's always in their interest to, to beat their competitors. Uh, that happens. That's just normal practice, unfortunately. We call, it's called humanity. And uh, tribal, war, tribal wars will continue. Pfizer, they've invented this new pill for COVID. And... So good, and they've done their trials, or they are doing their trials more, but the basic trials of the you know, first few stages gone well. So this is this could be good. But considering we've seen how Pfizer and AstraZeneca and the other companies have uh, behaved since uh, uh, last year when the vaccines were introduced, uh, they oversold their pr products and they are they are behind this push to make sure that we, we take you know, the third jab, the fourth jab, the fifth jab. It's definitely in their interest to keep selling. But I have this thought that, okay, what if the pill works? Does that make the vaccine redundant long-term in terms of the boosters? Or maybe that's their plan that they think, well, okay, the vaccine is not gonna be sustainable long-term as a business model. Uh, not many people continue to take the boosters. So this could, this could be the the new option, the new solution. And I get it. So what we have to look for, and that's why I'm making this video for all of us to be aware, is the cost of the pill as a supplier. 
to all governments and pharmacies around the world. Depends. Compare the cost of this new pill to all the other medicine. If it's unnecessarily expensive, then my theory is right. Then that they're just basically... Firstly, if all this stuff works, just like any other medicine with Big Pharma, if it works as a consumer and as a potential future patient, I don't care. I'm still going to take medicine, you know, whether it's painkillers or whatever it is, right? Because it works. And then, you know, put aside side effects because there's always side effects anyway. But if it's something that's not efficient, for example, when they said that they pretended that the vaccine is going to stop transmission, which it didn't, then that's a problem. Then, you know, that's a big scandal. But even if it works, you still have to question the whole industry and the, the, the way big government and big business are going hand in hand. And that's why I was going to get your perspective. I've been getting a lot of emails from you guys recently on this website um, because some people are completely now anti-Big Pharma. Some people are tribally very much pro-Big Pharma because they call them the saviors. And I'm in the middle. I'm thinking, well, if the pill, again, this one, if this is good and it's cheap and it replaces the vaccine because what what this is, does essentially is that it reduces the the hospitalization cases so if you get extremely ill you take that like a lot of the flu uh, tablets that we have and then you know, the common cold tablets and it prevents you from going to the hospital or dying so that's good the biggest scandal that we're not talking about is the fact that big pharma and big government are still going hand in hand the lobby are still going hand in hand with the bureaucrats and politicians and the advisors and that needs to be reformed you cannot allow uh, big pharma pharmaceutical companies like pfizer to call the shots just like with media um, and and the, the press and we, we've had uh, in the past it's a lot better now but at the time until recently i know it still exists but it's recently it's, it's much better with the murdoch empire uh, who was very very close to a lot of world leaders but that's now as an organization it's much better uh, it's, it's less manipulative but again it applies to a lot of other um, media companies uh, same applies to a lot of other lobbies like oil lobbies uh, and right now what's the biggest one i'm going to give you five seconds to guess the biggest powerful lobby which is very manipulative and very trusted by the government ready green lobby the environmental lobby these people are dangerously powerful and trusted by politicians uh, and we can't allow monopolies if people politicians on the left and right who pretend to be anti-monopolies and say oh monopoly is a bad idea we should always make sure that in the market and the economy we don't have monopoly well we have political monopoly we have called lobbying when you have all these green lobbying companies on behalf of big massive firms and corporations calling the shots meeting with Biden, meeting with boris exclusive access to them and they call the shots and also in terms of media manipulation, people like Greta and everybody else, when they say things out at Attenborough, we just listen to them like they're Noah. They're, they're not prophets. Like you have to question everything and everyone, including yourself and me. <laughs> not too much, much. <laughs> that's a joke. Uh, but that's why I'm kind of, I was going to talk about this as well, because again, I can't say it on YouTube. Every time I even attempt to upload something, it just gets boop, red flag. Uh, let's answer a few questions quickly. Uh, I don't want to go too long because you guys complain <laughs> when I go too long. Uh, Jason says, will the BBC still be privatized uh, in 2027 if Boris Johnson goes? Um, I'm going to add, I'm going to change that to also Boris or the Tory government, generally speaking. If Boris goes, it really depends on who the next leader is. And I'm still not really confident. I don't really like anybody else. Um, I'm, I'm not happy with Boris. 
but who, who else can we have? I still don't really trust Liz Truss as Prime Minister. I don't want Rishi Sunak. And uh, what's the point? If you're going to have Rishi, just keep Boris and just change the team. You know, Boris could stay if he actually sh show in action reform. Change your team, get rid of all the terrible people, the advisors and all the scandalous people, and bring in the sound people like David Frost, make changes, actual real policy changes so we could see, not rhetoric, actual action, then I'll be fine. Then he could stay and he could win, he could beat Starman, I'll be fine. Um, I don't really think anybody, there are a lot of people that people like, and they say, oh, well, I like Mark Harper. And then some people say, well, Penny Morden could be the unifying figure. Yeah, yeah, but there are two issues. One, can you beat Labour? And two, can you actually be sound? So Boris can beat Labour, but he needs to be sound. He used to be, but not anymore. Uh, so, well, yeah, Mike, the, the answer to that question is, yeah, if the Tories go, uh, for example, if the election is in the next couple of years, uh, the Labour Party will definitely instantly uh, reverse the policy to privatise the NHS. Uh, the NHS, the BBC. <laughs> oh no, it's not a conspiracy theory now. Privatise the NHS. No, the BBC will, yeah, will uh, remain nationalised, definitely, if Starmer gets into power. But a lot more other nonsensical stuff will happen if Starmer wins, because they've, they've already indicated the Labour Party and that also the left-wing coalition. Every single left-wing party will want to bring down the voting age to 16 and give voting rights to foreigners. Uh, and that's just one dangerous, two dangerous policies that will change the whole culture. The whole culture will change. And we're never going to have a centre-right party, which means the Tory party or any, any right-wing conservative party will have to become even more left-wing to win, like the CDU in Germany. And that's not what we want, do we? Uh, so it's quite tricky. Alan says, what are your thoughts on the Julian Assange case? Well, they had a bit of a victory with the appeal. Um, so that's interesting. Um, I think the, the narrative is now changing. Uh, for too long, Team Assange have been trying to portray him as a, as a journalist. And the, the government and the state and media were trying to say he's not a journalist, he's just a Robin Hood character. If this narrative wins that he is a journalist, because again, it's all about narrative. It's not about reality. It's just about perception. Then he could, he could, he could survive, uh, just about. Uh, they might either just assassinate him or something, or, uh, or give him a, some sort of weird sentence, but not life or, you know, murder. Uh, but it is tricky. I mean, I've, I've had my judgments with, with the whole Julian Assange thing, because why not try to be a martyr? Why not try to be the, fine, I'm, I'm the hero, I'm going to go to jail. Um, it, it, it's now turned into a cult personality sort of thing. But at the same time, some of the stuff that he's leaked was quite necessary. Some of them, yeah, I, I fully understand that they, comp you know, they compromise a lot of issues. I fully understand that, uh, but with some basic leak and you know the intelligence, for example, Germany spying on American citizens or Americans spying on French citizens, that sort of stuff, had to be exposed, whether you like it or not. Otherwise, authority will go crazy, and long term, you will create the next Hitler, whether you like it or not. Um, tyranny these days comes from democracies that are complacent, and so whistleblowers should exist, independent journalists should exist. Um, but I also understand that there is such thing as state secrecy at times. So even to be fair, even Julian Assange, his narrative, uh, the couple of interviews that he's done is still on YouTube. At least he says that he believes in that. He says that, oh no, I, I, don't, I do want to respect 
state secrecy i believe that fine gchq for example need to have secrets but he says that but we just have to make sure that someone or a group of people have the power to scrutinize them so that they don't go too far hold them to account basically i don't know let me know what you think send me an email on that issue and last one i'm gonna say is emma when is the next westminster roundup yes they're with peter bond uh yes that was supposed to be actually today but unfortunately it's not around so hopefully tomorrow we're gonna have the weekly westminster roundup with peter barnes uh, the political editor uh who we're going to be discussing all the the thing is it's all about cake isn't it it's all about cake <laughs> we're going to try to talk about anything but cake um so yeah hopefully tomorrow and when daniel mccallany comes from america uh or we'll just i'm trying to arrange something but obviously the time difference is quite tricky i will keep you guys posted thanks again guys for watching i'm going to go back to seeing what we can actually upload on youtube there's a lot of battles i have behind the scenes with the 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 company like Google and YouTube every single day that obviously I can't really discuss uh, because it's still confidential anyway uh, but we're gonna have some new projects for you guys uh, that documentary idea that I told you about is gonna happen very very soon so stay tuned and thanks again so much for all the support and thanks for all the new subscribers and members who've recently joined I'm my TC and I'll see you guys in the next video podcast